of them are just more, you know, happy and trees and stuff like that. Like the things that we think about when we when we think about uh, Christmas in the Western in our Western society. But but a lot of the the songs that we sing, I don't think that we spend very much time thinking about what they mean. Right. Sometimes they can lose their their depth because they're, they do, we think become too familiar, right? And we don't understand. And as I was thinking about one of my favorite songs, Christian Christmas songs, um, my, I was telling them my, one of my favorites is I want a hippopotamus for Christmas, but that's not really, I haven't figured out the depths of how that is uh, scriptural. But, um, but one of my favorite Christian theme songs is Joy to the World, right? Joy to the World. And you think, when I was growing up, I kind of, it's, it's a neat thought, right? Everybody, like, like joy to you, it's, there's nothing offensive about that, right? Sing, sing joy, it's almost like, you know, like, uh, don't worry, be happy, right? Don't worry, be happy, right? It's like a nice thing to say, and sometimes if we think joy to the world, it's like, why wouldn't we be say, yeah, yeah, be have happiness to you, joy to you. But in fact, this, this song is even more awesome than that. This song has a deep scriptural meaning to it. Matter of fact, the source of the joy is really important in this song. It's not just a generalized, you know, like, like random joy, like smile or, you know, happiness. It's a specific Joy that has an actual source. Joy needs a source. If it's going to be real or deep, it needs a source. It needs to come from somewhere. There needs to be something substantial, right? Otherwise, we're just faking a smile, right? And so joy to the world was this song. It actually wasn't written as a Christmas song, and it wasn't initially called Joy to the World. Back in the 1700s, this, this boy in London named Isaac Watts was a, was a Christian. His dad was a Christian. In London at the time, the government had taken over the church, and there was a government-sanctioned church. But there was also a church that was thriving and was on fire, and it wasn't, it wasn't stuck in, in, in the politics of the London church. Well, the leaders of that church, if you know your history, they, they sacrificed greatly. Many of them were put in prison. They were, they were, they were, they were trying to, be, they tried to force them to conform to the London church. Isaac Watts' dad was one of those men. He was a man who loved Jesus, who had this example to his kids. He, had, he ended up having Isaac Watts, and then he had seven more kids. Isaac Watts grew up with his dad in prison. When he was 18 years old, his dad was out of prison at that time, and he respected his dad greatly. He went to his father's church, and one day he came home, and he just had this honest moment with his dad. And he basically said, not in our, in our slang vernacular, but he said, the, the singing at our church stinks. <laughs> it's lame. No one's, ex- it's not good. And his dad, being an awesome dad that he was, doesn't rebuke him. He goes, son, why don't you, why don't you write some Christmas songs for us then and, and improve it? In other words, don't complain about the things that aren't happening at the church. Why don't you be the solution? And Isaac Watts takes him at his word, and he starts to write these psalms. He writes one a week. At the end of his life, he had written over 600 psalms. Early in the 1700s, he, he, he posts one of the greatest uh, hymns in English, the hymnal books. It had all of the psalms. There was 150 psalms. Every one of the psalms, except for 12 of them. And it, what he did was he took the psalm, and he gave it a New, tis, New, New Testament interpretation, and he sang it. Joy to the World is one of those songs. It's, it's his song, it's his interpretation from Psalm 98. So if you have your Bible, you might want to turn there, or I think it'll be up on the screen. But Psalm 98, starting in verse 4, four says this. 
It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. How did he translate that? Joy to the world. It means make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praise. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and the lyre and the sound and the melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. What's happening in this psalm is it's teaching the people that when the King is going to come, you, you, you prepare for that. You get ready. You, there's a prelude. They start singing. They have a band. They decorate, right? When the king's coming into town, they go before him. And, the, and, the, and when he's coming into town, they'll start singing praises. They're preparing a way for him. So Isaac Watts te- sings this, joy to the world, right? Let everybody receive him. He says, let every heart make him room. That's what they're doing in this song. It's a processional. Make room for the Lord. He's coming, right? It's a joy, joy to the world. Joy is coming. Where's the source of that joy? This king that's coming, right? So rejoice. Last week we looked at the fact that the irony is when Jesus does come, when Jesus the Messiah comes, did they make room for him? No, in Luke it says there was no room for him at the inn. That's where that comes from. In John chapter 1, we'll look at it today. It says the light has come into the world. The light has come to his own people, but they did not receive him. So he's saying, receive. Let everybody receive this king. That's what this song is about. Joy to the world. And he says, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy. So he says, heaven and earth rejoice. Heaven and earth rejoice. That's what he's saying. He's saying, let the angels, let God's people, even let the mountains and the rivers sing for joy because of this king who's coming. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Is it good to have a a king that's just and, and serves people with equity? No favoritism, right? Just treats people right if, if 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 he was running for president will we have all the issues we have no that's what we want we want a king like that we want a leader like that and what isaac watts is saying that jesus is this very one what david was 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 prophesying a thousand years before christ that this king this messiah which is coming he is the source of this joy in the second stanza it says, joy to the world. The, the Savior reigns. He rules. He reigns. The Savior. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rock hills and plains, repeat the sound in joy. Repeat the sound in joy. Repeat the sound in joy. The sound in joy. Right? And so Isaac Watts writes this cool psalm. It wasn't intended to be a Christmas song. It wasn't even called Joy to the World. In fact, it was called The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. When he first wrote it, it was called The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. Later, they, they called it Joy to the World. And it has an, aw- an awesome and obvious connection with Christmas because Luke and John t- tell us that Jesus came in this way. This song is talking about Jesus being the fulfillment of this prophetic utterance today i want in your notes 
The first thing we're going to look at is the source of the joy. It's the joy of his salvation. The joy of his salvation. And I want you guys to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. That's where we're going to kind of camp in for the most part today. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9 is a cool verse about this very same coming. It's a passage about the very same thing that David is writing about. This would have been 300 years before Isaiah. So just to give you the timeline, David was one of the first kings in the, in the Israel's monarchy, right? It was Saul and then David. If you're reading along in our Bible reading plan, you're reading about that right now, right? One chapter a day, you're reading about David. He becomes the king. The whole, the whole monarchy lasts about 400 years. After that, they get, they, they, they aren't doing very well. They're not following the Lord, and the Lord prophesies through Isaiah, which is 100 years before the end, and then Jeremiah, who's at the end, 100 years after Isaiah, right? These prophets. And he says that you're going to get taken into exile, into Babylon. He tells them you're going to go. After the 400 years, they go into captivity for how many years? 70 years. It tells them that in the scriptures in Jeremiah, right? So, so David is at the beginning of this whole king, kingdom. He's the highlight of the kingdom. He's the one that they all said, we want to be, we want to get back to the glory days when David was king. That's how people would have spoke. When they talk about this coming kingdom, the Messiah, they talk about him in connection with David. The one like David. The king like David, right? Because David had a, a, a heart after God's own heart, right? And this Messiah would be better than this David. And they look forward to that. David sang about this. Now Isaiah is telling them bad news in like Isaiah 1 through 8 really is some, it's like, it's, it's, it's a rebuke. And then in chapter 9, he gives them hope. He says, but one is coming. The Messiah will come back again. And it starts to talk about this. You'll notice that this Isaiah chapter 9 sounds a lot like uh, Psalm 98. As a matter of fact, some commentators believe that David didn't write Psalm 98. It was written in Isaiah's time, maybe even by Isaiah himself or one of his followers. I don't think that there's a lot of uh, backing for that. The reality is, is just the Bible continually has a string that runs through it. It's not uncommon to hear somebody a thousand years before Christ talking about the same types of stuff because the Holy Spirit is inspiring it, and it's talking about a reality that is coming. And it's because there's some familiarity doesn't mean it has the same author. It means the same, it has the same inspiration, right? And so 300 years later, Isaiah writes this, and he says this, Isaiah chapter 9. He says, For there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And that's a sound like, like contemporarily relevant. Anybody know anybody that this Christmas season is just struggling? Right? It's just ironic that we go like joy to the world. But, you know, some people don't feel very joyous at Christmas time. For some people, it's one of the hardest times of the year. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. There's just like things that I had hopes for, right? And, and it didn't come to pass. And then you, sometimes it brings back memories. Sometimes people go through really hard depression at Christmas time, right? If you're here and you're going through that, you're not alone. You're not alone at all. And there's nothing wrong with you. And God is still happy with you. He's not only happy with you when you smile. When it says joy to the world, if you don't feel joyous, don't feel like, like there's anything wrong with you. It's pretty normal. That's why there's so much writing about this type of stuff in the Bible, because God understands that this is real stuff that we face. 
But he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Isn't that a great promise? There's going to be a time when the one who was in anguish, maybe even right now is in anguish, but there's going to come a time when it will no longer be a gloom for that person. And it says, in the former time, he, which is God, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. You don't have to know that from, church, uh, from, from world history, but just know this. These two cities were known as places that had walked really far away from God. They, had, they, were, they were part of Israel. Actually, it was part of where what will become Galilee, these two towns. And, and, they, were, and they, they, they had walked far away from God. When Isaiah is teaching, Babylon is going to come in and take over, but before that, the Assyrians come in and take over. These two towns are the first two towns that get taken over. This is super relevant. He says, in the former time, so there's a time in the past, it'll, one day it will be in the past, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in latter time, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Isn't that amazing? This is written 700 years before Jesus, and it names the city where he's going to have his public ministry, in Galilee. When, when, when Peter denies Jesus three times, what do they accuse him of? Weren't you from Galilee too? Two, because that's where Jesus was from. This is a prophecy about this Jesus who will come. Once this land, this land once was far from God, and it was broken, and it was messed up, and the circumstances were just not right. And that's how it was once. But a time is coming when Jesus shows up, when he's going to redeem those two cities. Jesus redeems messed up, broken people and circumstances for his glory. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about the fact that he's going to take what once was far from God, he's going to bring it close to him. He's literally going to go there and be with them. This is amazing. And that's only verse 1. He says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. In other words, if you're a farmer, harvest is the greatest blessing you could imagine. A time of harvest would be a time of blessing. Right? And if you're a soldier like many of these people, to, to, to divide the spoil, what meant what? meant you were victorious. It's a time of victory. He's saying that time is coming. When this, when this Jesus shows up, that time is going to show up with him. He says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. This is an amazing thing. If you guys were reading through Judges with us, remember Gideon? Gideon was the guy who was a nobody. He said, I'm the least from the least town, from the least family, of the least of the least, and I'm the least. Who's the least? Gideon's the least. That's who he thought of himself. God goes, hey, mighty warrior. Like, what are you joking? Like, I'm the biggest nerd here, right? And God uses this Gideon. At the end of the story, if you remember, he's going to fight against these Midianites. Right. And there they have a bunch of them, thousands of them. So Gideon tries to rally all the troops and he gets thirty two thousand to show up. 
right? There just might be a chance with 32,000 people to take them. Oh God, okay, we're going to need 32,000 plus you, and then we can do this, right? God goes, nah, you got too many. Why do I got too many? You got more than me still, right? And God goes, no, tell all of them if you're afraid, go home. And he does, and 22,000 of them go home. Now there's 10,000. 10,000, we can't do it. Now God goes, nah, there's still too many. You'll still think it was you. And, he's, and, he, and so he goes through this process, he gets down to 300 of them. 300 against all of them. And then they have victory because God is the victor. That's what he's talking about here. He's reminding them. He goes, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressors, you have broken as on the day of Midian, when 300 and the Lord, right? It could have been three and the Lord. Literally, it could have been none and the Lord. Who's the hero? The Lord. And then he says, For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire, as fuel for the fire. Couple thoughts on this in your notes. The joy of his salvation. The first thing we see is that the world needs a great light. Isaiah says it like this. He goes, The people were walking in darkness. The people were walking in darkness, and then a great light came to them. Have you ever have you ever been in the dark? The dark's scary for most of us. Let alone, have you ever been in the dark in a place that you don't know? So the other day, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a, I, for some of you guys know this, some of you don't. I, I work on the fire department, and we get called out for the most random things. So I'm working in Los Alamitos, and we get called out to the freeway, and there's supposedly this car that, like, went off the freeway. That's kind of normal. It's weird for you, but 3 in the morning, that's what I do, right? This car's off on the freeway. I'm, I get out, and I got my flashlight, and the, and, the, and the lights are going, and I just assume my flashlight's going to work. And then I get there, and I'm walking down this ice plant through these trees. Now, it's known for a bunch of, like, homeless people, and some of them don't like to be woken up, and some of them have, like, knives and stuff. So you're always careful, right? I'm walking. My flashlight doesn't work. I should have checked it in the morning, so I'm being prideful. I don't want to go tell them my flashlight doesn't work. So I just brave. I pull out this little teeny flashlight I have in my thing. I'm going through it. My point is, darkness is scary. I don't care if you're a grown man and a fireman, but, but the darkness was scary. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was going to walk in a thing. Thankfully, my, someone came, and they had a light, a big Ed light, a real big light, and I was thankful for that light. And that's what he's saying. He's saying that the darkness, people are in darkness. When the light comes, that's awesome. It, br- it brings with you security. It brings great joy when a light comes into the darkness. I don't know about you, but if, if, if you're here and you're like, I always know what to do and everything I touch, you know, like turns to gold and like I'm always happy. I haven't had a bad day in as long as I can remember. You're probably one of the only people that doesn't belong in this church. Right. Because this is just a church of real people who, who, who can relate to the fact that sometimes it just feels like a season of darkness. And he's saying you're not alone. And this Jesus is with you. So the world needs a great light. Let's be honest. John picks up on this. The gospel writer John was one of Jesus' followers. In John 1, 9, he goes, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. When this Jesus came, this true light, is he going to show favoritism? No, to everyone. He wants to give light. Why? Because everyone needs it. Whether you admit it or not. You could use a little light. 
You need Jesus, whether you want it or not, whether you know it or not. The thing that you need is Jesus. I mean, I know the magazine says there's seven steps to being happy, but at the end of those seven steps, we, 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 we don't find happiness, not lasting. In Christ alone we do. That's what John wants us to know. That's the gospel, right? <clears throat> so the world needs a great light, and that Jesus came to save the world. John 1, 10 through 13 says this. He says, he was in the world, right? Jesus came, he lived for 30 years. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. He was the creator, and then he came. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, the only requirement is that you receive this gift of salvation. Jesus has come. He's the light. Some people don't like that light. Some people reject that light. As a matter of fact, he said, I came to my own and they didn't receive me. They didn't, re- they didn't receive that light. They said, we don't want it. They crucified it, right? But, this is a but God, but to all, to all, not Jewish people um, alone, right? Not, not just people who are really messed up, obviously, who are, are worse at trying to hide it, right? Some of us are worse at hiding the fact that we're messed up, right? In other words, sometimes some of us are really good at looking like everything's good on the outside. But the reality is, is we're all broken. We're all struggle. We all need this Jesus. And he goes to all who received him. He gave the right to become children of God. Not just his friend, not just his follower, not just his, all those things too, but his actual child. His child. He adopts us. The only thing that's required is to believe in this gift of salvation. And as his children, there's nothing you can do. It's a gift. Some people would say it like this. If, if, if it's a gift, then, then, then you can't receive it, right? Because that would be doing something. That wouldn't be grace. No, I, I think when someone gives you a gift, you can still receive it and then not take credit for it, right? You don't open the thing and go, wow, look at this gift I just opened. Wow, thank you, me, for opening this gift. No, you thank the person who gave it, Right? The person gives it, but you receive it. And to those who receive it, you get the right to become children of God with all of the benefits of being a child. And then we see in here that Jesus is the source of this whole joy piece. Joy to the world. The source of this joy is this Jesus who's going to come and do all of these things. He's going to come into our darkness where we're at. He's going to turn the light on. Some of you guys go like, it's not like, he doesn't, he's not going fast enough. That's because he loves you. You ever come out of the movie theater and it's like, you're, you're, you know, you're watching Rogue One <coughs> like we do. And then your, your, your pupils adjust to the darkness and you come out and there's a little bit of light and it's overwhelming, right? You don't like it. That's why when you're walking out, if you notice they're smart, it, it gets gradually lighter. Notice it when you go into the movie theater, you come out, it gets gradually lighter as you walk outside. Jesus kind of does that for us. He loves us. He turns that light on just the right times, just enough. He, sometimes he leaves a little bit of darkness so that we can learn to turn to him, right? He does all of this because he's a great father. 
And Jesus is the source of this joy. And it says, notice this, it says a couple things. It says there will be no more gloom. Any of you guys look forward to that moment? That's not saying about right now. We're going to look at that. There's, a, there's an aspect of Jesus' coming that's an already, and there's a part still that hasn't come. We believe Jesus came, but Jesus is also coming back. And when he does, there'll be no more pain and no more sorrow. That's what Isaiah is talking about. There'll be no more gloom. Can you imagine that time? I can. I, can, I look forward to that time. There'll be no more gloom. And then he says this. He goes, and he will burn the boots and the battle gear. All of the, the, the garments that are rolled in blood. What is he talking about? Doesn't that describe your life a little bit? Any of you guys ever go through some battles in life? Ever you guys get some, scrumps and, some scrapes and bumps and bruises and things get a little bloody? And he's saying all of that is a part of this life. But one day, he's going to take all of that and throw it in the fire, it's going to be part of the celebration because it'll be done with. No more. Jesus is the source of this joy, and there's more to come. Getting back to Isaiah, we'll see that he, he, he points, he's the king of glory. In, in Psalm 24, Jesus, I mean, uh, David talks about who is this king of glory. Read that later. I don't have time to read it. But there's this a good theme in the, in the scriptures. <clears throat> In Isaiah 9, 6, he says this, and it's probably familiar to you. You probably heard this around Christmas time. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Luke picks up on this picture and he, and he talks about Jesus' coming with this same language. He's, he's basically saying, the gospel writer Luke saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of, of Isaiah 9, when he says in, in Luke 2, 11 through 14, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I wish I could read it like Linus, right? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. It's where we get the term peace on earth and goodwill to men. You, we heard that. This peace has a specific source. Just like the joy has a specific source. The Bible doesn't say peace to everybody on earth. It says peace on him with whom his favor rests, it says in NIV. Or in the ESV, it says, it says peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. To unpack all of this, and then we'll get to that point, the first thing we see is that God became flesh. This is part of the source of joy. The bringing of this peace is that Jesus came to this earth, that Jesus became flesh. Isaiah prophesied it in, in, in Isaiah chapter 9, and then Luke says Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus being born is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the Messiah. Jesus became flesh. John says it like this, John 1.14, And the word which Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And we see that he is a great king. 
He's a great king. How would you describe this great king? He gives you four things, right? He is a wonderful counselor. This word wonderful in, in the Hebrew is undescribable. Jesus, this, this king will be an undescribable counselor. You guys ever not know what to do? You ever, you ever lose trust in our, in our government or people who are in charge and go, I don't think that they know what they're doing. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's always going to know what to do. We can trust in the direction that he leads us because he's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. Isn't that important? What would happen if we had a God who cared about us and was willing but wasn't able to actually do anything for us? Right? It would be like, you know, like, like a really nice grandma. The Bible never, did. grandmas are awesome. But sometimes grandmas want to help, but they can't. They're helpless. But our God is a God who cares and a God who is a mighty God. There is nothing he cannot do. He's mighty, he says. He's everlasting father. You're going to become a child of God, it says, by receiving him. And he'll be an everlasting father. An everlasting father, always there. Always loving you like a kid. Not like a boss. Not the big boss up there, right? He's the everlasting father. He's a good father. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what relationship you could have to, to give a better picture of, of somebody caring than family, than father. And he says he's going to be prince of peace. And this peace is going to equal, the way to have this peace is going to, be, is going to come when you belong to his kingdom. When you've made him the king. He's the king. He's mighty. He's everlasting father. You become his kid by receiving him. You're not born, it says this way, right? John says that. He goes, it doesn't happen by blood, by, by being born in a, in a physical sense. It, it happens by being born again, by becoming his son and his daughter. And then we sit under his shalom, the Hebrew word for peace. It means much more than the feeling of, of safety, although it does involve that. It's a total wholeness a completeness you ever talk about this like people talk about this like i just need some balance that's shalom when everything is in balance when it when it's a holistic healing when he doesn't just heal your finger he heals your soul he doesn't just heal heal your now and your future he heals your past when he heals everything you have shalom. When every aspect of your body is taken care of, spirit, everything that you can describe as you, your heart, your everything, your emotions, your physical, everything, that condition would be shalom. And it says he's the prince of this shalom. We don't need a magazine to tell us how to have fulfillment, happiness. It's found in the Lord alone. Shalom. And it says that he's the everlasting, it's an everlasting kingdom. Back to Isaiah chapter 9, we'll finish out. He says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. You guys, you, have any of you guys ever wished for um, world peace? It's coming. It is. 
Oh, I hope that we can get world peace one day. No, we will. It's already done. It's written. It's written in stone. It's written by the blood of the Lamb. World peace will happen when Christ comes back. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. How will this get done? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will do it with his zeal. Can you imagine what God's zeal looks like? I mean, I get excited. That, I mean, Jamie and Nikki were excited. Can you imagine the zeal of the Lord? That's what's going to do it. It's going to be glorious. So we see, though, and we'll have the worship team come back up. We see here that the king has come already. Jesus came. The king came. Jesus has come already. And we see in this passage that the kingdom is to grow on this earth. He intends for the kingdom. When Jesus came, he started something and he passed it on to us. It's called making disciples, making people who are a part of this kingdom. Colossians talks about it like this. He says, you were once in darkness, in the kingdom of darkness, and he transferred you to the kingdom of light. The people once walked in darkness, Isaiah said. Paul says in Colossians, the way that that happened is those people who were in darkness, they got transferred to the kingdom of light. You're like, imagine a sport, if you're a sports guy, right? Like one person's on a team. They're on, you know, like, let's say they're on, like, the Giants, right? Boo! Right? That's how I feel. Right? And let's say they get transferred to the glorious kingdom of the Dodgers. They've been transferred. They were in darkness. They're in light now. I know Manoj is not happy about that. but And also Tim, who's in London, probably looking at, you know, Isaac Watts' grave over there. But, but those, are, those are Giants fans, and we love them because God loves everybody. But... What I'm saying is, even better than that, the kingdom of darkness is, is, is that place where God is not. It's you trying to do life on your own. You don't always recognize it as darkness. Here's the thing about darkness. Sometimes you can get used to the darkness. And then the darkness just feels like life. And until you see the light, you don't realize, oh, wow, I was in darkness. But he transfers us to this kingdom of light. We need to be transferred. And that's what God wants to do. The kingdom is, is growing on this earth. People are getting saved. People are becoming a part of his kingdom. That's why we go out and we invite people. Not because we want them to come here, but because we want them to come here so we can point them to Jesus. So we know now what, what God has already done. We know that Jesus came. And we're, we're talking right now about, like, what about right now? What is he doing now? Is he, is he, he has a desire. He wants the kingdom to grow. 